0: New City family, before we get seated, I just wanna pray together. I wanna pray uh, just in a season of giving thanks. uh, We wanna pray for the nations, because the gospel goes forth. When God's word goes out, it doesn't come back void. And so we've seen that. And we partner uh, with a brother and a church in the Dominican Republic uh, with Brother Manuel. And so we're excited just to pray for them for a moment. And so will you pray with me that God, they will find a place and that people will continue to hear the gospel there. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much just for our brother Manuel and his family, just being willing to go, to go and to plant a church in the Dominican Republic, to go and to plant and to see lives changed, uh, to see the gospel impact and that the gospel is not just supposed to impact uh, those there, but then it's supposed to go forth and to multiply and to make disciples and mobilize missionaries. God, we pray that you continue uh, to give them all that they need. God, we pray for a space uh, for them. God, we know that that will increase their opportunity for ministry there. But God, we also pray for just the partnerships, for the baseball team across the street, for, for, the, for those moms who are hurting. Lord God, we pray that God, you would give Manuel and his team just a chance to move, to show your grace and your love. And that it would be a time of rejoicing and seeing another church planted, another uh, people group reach for your kingdom that will then mobilize and reach others. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is AJ. I have the privilege of being on staff here at New City Church. Uh, I've been here uh, almost five months now, and so I don't know uh, if I get to play the new card anymore. Um, but if this is your first time, I just want to say welcome. Uh, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, I'd love to meet you. And so we're going to be continuing our time in the book of John this morning. Uh, I'm excited to dive in and look at Jesus's third miracle. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, pastor Eric, get all the heavy lifting last week and setting up how miracles and physical healings happen. And so I'm pretty much copying and pasting. So if you weren't here last week, you didn't hear that, but if you were here last week, hopefully it'll be enjoyable. And so with that though, there's gonna be some similarities because we're gonna see today a miraculous healing done by Jesus. But the healing won't be our main idea because this is gonna show us and it's gonna direct our mind and our hearts to see something more. Um, But before we jump into John chapter five, um, I think I've shared with y'all before, I like making things like connect, making things work. Man, when something works like it should, man, that just it makes me feel good inside. It gives me that like warm, fuzzy feeling like the world is right. Um, I, I'm sure we all have at least a little bit of that you can think of something that works right. Uh, but I feel like more often than not, we can think of the things that don't work. Like if I gave you about two seconds, you could probably rattle off about, three to five things that don't work in your life, whether that be your car um, or anything like that. Uh, It could be your phone, Uh, my wife's phone. Praise the Lord, I love her, it just doesn't work. It has like no battery left. It doesn't work like it should. Uh, For me, the thing that pops into my head most often uh, is our like guest bathroom door. It's like supposed to just be easy, you pull it, it shuts, it locks. Ours does not do that. I don't know why I've tried to fix it. It's not working like it should. Um, and, I, and I know that seems like trivial in like the grand scheme of what's going on in the world and all this, because I think we all, though, like struggle to make sense of things that don't work or like things aren't how they're supposed to be. And so there's big and smalls, like a door handle not working, um, which isn't life altering. But we're going to see in John chapter five that things aren't as they should be. There's going to still, there's going to be sickness and people dying and hurting. We see that even now that there's these things still plague us today. People are sick, they're dying, they're hurting, things are broken. That's one of the things that led me just into my faith. I was like, man, the world doesn't make sense. It's broken. Something has to be able to fix it. And so we're going to look at our passage today and see this this brokenness. Uh, and this sickness, and I feel like even before 2020, I've read John 5, and I've kind of just like looked over it about a multitude of people being sick and just kind of brushed past it. But after 2020, um, I have this idea of what it means to be really searching for a miracle, searching for things to work out in some way, and searching for just a little bit of mercy to be shown. And so I feel like our text today will show us that sometimes things don't make sense, Last week, we saw Jesus uh, heal somebody by simply declaring like the boy was healed. He was miles away, but he just declared it was healed. And so when I read something like that and see the power of God, I begin to ask myself, like, why in the world are we still dealing with diseases and pandemics and all the other mess that's going on in the world right now? Why is there heartache and loss? Because Jesus truly has the power that we see in scripture, scripture, uh, then why are things the way they are? And I'm gonna be really quick to tell you, I don't have all those answers. Uh, I'm gonna follow my lead pastor, Pastor Eric, and be like, I do not know the mind of God. I cannot answer why this thing happened and why this didn't. I don't know all of those things. But I I can see in our passage today in John five, I can see the heart of God. I can see how God moves and acts and how it can point us to something more. And so but I feel like we're all crying out in one form or another for mercy, for help, because life is just hard. Uh, Me and my family, we traveled to North Carolina uh, over the past week. Uh, To be honest with you, I was ready to get back to Florida. It was too cold. Uh, I love Florida. I'm a Florida boy now. I told everybody I'm a Floridian. I'm going back to where it's warm. But as we traveled with kids, we did uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, all the above. And so with that, uh, traveling with kids is hard. Uh, I was really thankful and reminded of a trip where uh, our oldest Grayson got sick and I was like traveling with a sick kid. That is brutal. Like I was that, that whole trip, I was just crying out for mercy. God move in a mighty way. I was trying to figure out if there was a special way to do healings. I didn't know it, but we were working on, I was crying out for mercy, uh, because I was like, I need help. I was crying it for him, for myself, for my family. I, I just needed help. But I, as, we, as I think of that, though, I, I remember just a bunch of times where I feel like things are just tough. And I think we all have those moments where it's just tough and it hits hard, where the chips are down, where we want to see somebody healed or we want to see a relationship restored. Man, when we want to see somebody just, you know, just to have mercy shown to them. And so where the question begins to ask, where do we find this? Where do we find relief or where do we turn for relief? Where's the place we can go and find hope that will take our problems away? And the world gives us a lot of options. They get social media. um, It gives us one another. Um, It could be drugs or alcohol or sex. It could be work or school uh, or just a hobby where you're just, you throw yourself into it so you don't have to think about anything else. But but the question we keep asking is like, where do we find it? Because the more we go to these things, man, we just find them empty. Where can we find the relief that we're looking for? And I believe that we get a glimpse of it in John chapter five today, because what we're gonna see in John five, the quick summary is that there's a guy who's an invalid who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And so he's searching for healing and we're gonna see by magical waters. But what we'll see today is that this man didn't need supernatural waters. What this man needed was to meet God in the flesh and he'll do just that. And so our main idea today, I'm gonna give it right out the gate. Uh, Usually I like to keep you in suspense, but we're all in turkey comas and I'm just like, we're just gonna get out in front of it today. So our main idea today is that Jesus is where mercy is found. And so this idea of mercy is important as we remember, as we look at our passage, because mercy is this idea of compassion uh, being shown when punishment or justice is due. When something's deserved, when things are supposed to go this way and somebody relents, they're able to show mercy. Because mercy goes beyond justice. It it doesn't even undercut it sometimes. It just goes beyond it. Because as we look at the idea of mercy, and we'll see this today, mercy costs something to the one giving it. It's not just like, oh, we'll just push that away and there's no, no cost to it. There's something costly to mercy. And so, but we'll see today, God's willing to freely give it to those who trust in him. And so let's dive into our text in John chapter five, and we're gonna read verses one through 17, starting in verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man uh, was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. This man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Man, there there is a lot of richness in this text, and we see multiple things happening here. And so I'm excited to look at this text and really walk through it today with you. And so to give us some direction, we're going to look at this kind of in three parts. We're going to look at the setting, uh, then we're going to look at the healing, and then we're going to look at the responses. And so we're going to start with point number one, looking at the setting in which all this takes place. And so we're going to see Jesus coming to Jerusalem. We, we know from uh, John 4 that he's been in Samaria, and then he went up to Canaan and Galilee. And so he spent time there, and now he's heading back to R- Jerusalem during a feast. And so we're introduced to this place called the Pool of Bethesda, uh, where apparently there's a crowd of people. I don't know how many is a crowd. Some people will say three is a crowd. Uh, I think there's more than three, uh, but there's, there's plenty of people there who are blind, lame, and paralyzed. And so this place is one where there's much sadness and people seeking answers and help. There's just desperation there. We can see it because people are just waiting for the waters uh, to stir and step into them so we'll be healed. This isn't a place people naturally find themselves going. It's not on like the must-sees of Jerusalem. But they're going, someone goes there for a specific purpose, and so before we really jump into this, I want to point something out, though, that you may have noticed and you may not have. But, um, but you'll see that it goes from verse three to verse five in your text. And you're like, really? Yep, yeah, we left out verse four. But I just want to take a moment and talk about it, uh, because if your Bible has footnotes, you'll see it there. You'll find verse four right there in your footnotes. And so this is there, this happens uh, some at different points in, in Scripture, because what we see is the earliest and best manuscripts that we have don't have verse four in them. And so with that, uh, this verse four does give context to what verse seven says, and we're going to look at that in just a second. Uh, but before we dive into that, I just wanted to go ahead and mention that this verse and other areas in Scripture where we see this kind of happening, uh, where there is like a discrepancy with the manuscripts. Um, there's no historical, theological, or doctrinal issue at stake. There's nothing there that's going to really change what we believe here, Uh, but it's just text criticism. And so if you want to dive down that rabbit hole, I'd love to. I love this kind of stuff. Um, And so I'd love to have that conversation with you. Uh, But we can talk about that at another time. But our footnote for verse four, this is what you need to know, just gives us the context for how people thought the pool of Bethesda worked. That's it. How the pool worked though is not essential to the story. The fact that Jesus worked is essential to the story. And so we're able to look at that here today because what we see is Jesus come to a setting which most people seem to avoid. We get to see Jesus come uh, not just to look and see what's going on at the pool of Bethesda. He comes and speaks to a man who he knew has been lying there for a long time. Right here in the first part of our story, we get to see two things about Jesus. We get to see his knowledge and his compassion. We see him having divine knowledge because he just walks up to this man and he sees that he's been lying there a long time. He sees, and I hope this is a great reminder to you, that Jesus knows us. He just like walks into this and knows us. There's no like, when we get into a relationship with Jesus, there's no getting to know one another period for Jesus. He just knows us completely. He knew us before we were in our mother's womb and he knows the hairs on our head. And that's impressive for most of y'all sitting here because all y'all got some hair on your head. Now there's other rays that I find God really impressive, but the whole hair on the head thing doesn't compute for me. But he truly knows us though. And that is sweet. And he's able to enter into our lives and know us and know our desires and where we're hurting. And through this, we're able to see this divine knowledge and we get to see it cutting straight to this man's need. He knows what he needs. And so, how we when we see Jesus know this man fully, we're able to really see his compassion come out. Because Jesus went to a place where people don't naturally go. He went to the overlooked intentionally. We get to see this time and time again with Jesus. Because we see what this man's trusting in is magical waters for healing. He sees this man just trusting and lying there with a whole bunch of other people hoping to be the first in the water. So I imagine Jesus walking onto the scene and, and stick with me. To, there's like, I'm not saying I'm Jesus in this story, but kind of, but with my kids, all right, my kids, they love to play like uh, tractor wash. We got a bunch of toy tractors. I got two boys. They're wonderful. We love to wash our tractors. Uh, but it's always like staggering to me uh, is that we, we, they get little toothbrushes. They're ready to go. But usually what they want to wash the tractors with is mud in muddy water and so i we get them all set up they go they have a good time and i walk up and i'm sitting here and as the wise father figure in their life you know i just walk up and go what you doing (laughs) they look at me cute as can be you know praise god they're cute and so with this they're going we're cleaning our tractors dad of course don't you see we're using this mud and we're getting it all clean and i want to be like are you really Like you're not getting it. You're you're trusting in something to heal you or to make your tractors clean that has no ability to do that. And so I see Jesus walking on the scene like really you're trusting in these magical waters because we see in verse seven and with our helpful footnote in verse four uh, that he was trusting in the waters. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. This is a man, I, I believe, that just deserves pity. He's come to the pool of Bethesda to find healing. He's seeking mercy in this world. He's waiting, What verse? the footnote tells us that he's waiting for an angel, an angel to come down and stir the waters and the first person or the first few that get in it will be healed. There's no scriptural evidence for this. There's no idea that this works. But instead of Jesus mocking this man or laughing at him and, this is where my analogy breaks down because usually I you know, say something smart and witty to my kids and that's where you know, the illustration breaks down. But instead of Jesus mocking or rebuking this man, man, Jesus just has great compassion on him. He's there and he's about to show this man his great love and his great mercy because we're, we need to remember Jesus is where mercy is found and what we begin to see is that this is who Jesus is at his core. He goes to the pool of Bethesda. He goes to where there's hurt and there's pain and they're longing for healing. And this isn't out of character though, because what we saw in the past two weeks in John chapter four is Jesus decided to walk straight into Samaria, which Jews just naturally went around. And he went to the well at the middle of the day to find the woman there. And then he went into Canaan and Galilee where they just wanted a miracle worker. They didn't want a savior, but he went to the official son. He went to the official to heal his son. This is who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't run away from problems. He enters into them and shows mercy. And so I I pray that we see this in our lives each and every day. We see Jesus not running from our mess. We're not pushing Jesus away with all of the mess that we have in our lives, but he just steps into it. In John five, Jesus enters into a scene where people have come to the pool of Bethesda. And I, I found it interesting, Bethesda means house of mercy. They're seeking mercy, they're seeking a miracle, but what they don't expect is that mercy is not found in water, but it's found in a person. And that person is Jesus. Before we get to our next point, we, we gotta ask ourselves, we just need to ask ourselves, where do we seek refuge when it seems like there's nowhere to turn? Where are we trying to go and find hope and healing and restoration? For the man in our story, he goes to the pool. He goes to the pool to be stirred up, hoping for healing and restoration. But what's our pools? Where are we going? Is it earthly pleasures like drugs, alcohol, or social media? Is it accolades or approval of others? Is it being in the gym every single day, having this perfect exercise routine? Is it eating the right things or doing the right things and saying the right things? Are we seeking fulfillment in our finances, especially as the holidays draw near? Looking to how to cut a corner or to charge a little bit more just to make it all go away? Do we hope that making the grade, man, gives us enough to carry us through the holidays until we start all over again with school? Is our our flesh and our fallen nature, it it tends to take us to places and, uh, and pools where we hope to find mercy. We all have this place where we go and we seek to find this comfort and healing because we naturally mistake, the the mistake we naturally make is replacing God with the gifts that he's given to us. He's given us good gifts, but we replace God with them. But I praise God, man, do I praise God that he's patient and slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love. And as we see in this story, he doesn't wait for us to come to him, but instead comes to us. And we get to see that as Jesus changes this man's life, which leads us to our second point today, number two, the healing. And so let's look at verse six through nine together. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I know the main point is not the healing. Uh, But man, I don't want to move too quickly past this because man, we just get to see the power of God on display. Jesus with a sentence heals a man who's been an invalid for 38 years. This is power. This is like the power of God on display. And what makes this scene to me all the more beautiful is seeing Jesus's response in light of verse seven. And so let's look again at this time, but I want you to look at verse seven with me and see what's not there. Because Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. What is crazy about this to me is that this man displays no act of faith in Jesus. There's nothing there. We learn of nothing righteous this man has done to deserve a healing. If anything, he's trusting in the pool completely to heal him. He's trusting in an angel to come and stir up water so that he can be healed. That's where all his hope and trust and assurance is found. He's like, it's got to happen here. And what does Jesus do? He just simply looks at this man and says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And I did some real study in here because I was like, man, there's gotta be like some fancy Greek like thing with words, like make it happen. Nope, it just says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And part of me wants to think that Jesus has this like deep booming voice, like get up. And I'm like, I don't think that was probably the case either. He just simply was there and he's like, get up. Take up your bed and walk. This, I'm just like blown away that like this is who Jesus is, that he has this type of power and this type of compassion. That he just healed a, whole, a body that was broken and just down. And he just says, get up and take up your bed and walk. Because he doesn't wait for him to display faith, but simply heals him with his words. His compassion and his love just jumps off the page to me because this man came to the pool at the house of mercy seeking mercy. He was seeking relief from the pain and the bad hand that life had dealt him. He didn't find it though in the water, he found it in Jesus. Remember, Jesus is where mercy is found. It's not in magical waters or anything this world has to offer, it's in Jesus. And so we found it because verse nine tells us, and at once the man was healed at once, and he took up his bed and walked. He just went up, he just got up and went. But we, we see this and I'm, I'm blown away by this, but we, I mentioned and Eric mentioned last week that the healing is not the main point. And we're gonna see that in just a minute, but Jesus is helping us see something greater. But let us not forget that this man just got up and walked. And so we look at verse 14 to see the bigger picture though, because afterward, Jesus found him uh, in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus came back up to this man later after healing him because he had drawn away, and we'll look at that in a minute. And he finds him in the temple. And then he drops his line on him. Man, it caused me to scratch my head. Um, that says he was to sin no more. And so I want to unpack that because I feel like that's a, it has been a stumbling block for me. And so what we see, though, is Jesus drawing this man back. It's a time has passed. He's drawing him back to say, I am who I am, the one who showed mercy. And from that, he calls him, though, to something greater, to sin no more. So here, I man, I love, as we unpack something like, here's where the beauty of Scripture comes into play. Because we all know that we're still sinners, unable to be perfect in our current state, that, the same was true then. This man was not able to go and sin just and be perfect. So how can Jesus call this man to sin no more? And I, I'm going to be really honest with y'all. All right. It's after Thanksgiving. I feel like I can trust you. We, we got this. I, I read passages like this back in the day. And I was like, that don't make a whole lot of sense. I'm sure there's like some deep theological something there. But I'm just going to move on past. I'm just going to keep going. I'm gonna finish this chapter and I'm gonna go on. But I hope today you'll be encouraged as we walk through this together to uncover the beauty and depths in God's word and use God's word to help you unpack his truth. And so with this, I want us to start at the end of the verse and work our way back. Because Jesus says, go like sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. And so I'm like, well, what can be worse to me in an invalid for 38 years? For paralyzed, unable to do anything. And so he's sitting there, and what could be worse? Is there something worse? And so what we see is, how how could this be? And he says, using our verse though, it says sin. What what causes the worst thing to happen is that sin. And so what our scripture tells us and what does sin bring upon us, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's worse. Because it's not just our uh, physical death. What our sin and disobedience earns us is a spiritual death. It's a death where we are forever separated from the love of God. And Scripture, we're all sinners. And Scripture tells us that there's a place of darkness and gnashing of teeth and a lake of fire, and it's called hell. And this is a place where there's no hope and no joy. And ultimately, there's no mercy to be found because where mercy is found is in Jesus, and He's not there. Jesus is calling this man to realize that he's been healed for a purpose. He's been healed for holiness. He is to live a life set apart from the world and point to the one who has given him life. Jesus isn't saying be perfect or something worse may happen to you because we know this isn't attainable. What he is saying to this man is that he's been healed, not just physically, but for a greater purpose. There are worse things in life than physical pain, than what the world is throwing at you right now. It's eternal separation from me. He says something worse may happen to you. And I I don't know how this man responded, to be honest with you. I was talking about it with my wife last night. and she was like, did he, did he respond? Do we know what happened? And I don't. But I, I, I think we need to, we can take from this story. And we've seen that now that what John is showing us through this is that the physical is always pointing to the spiritual problem that we all have. Because we're all outside of Christ. We're all paralyzed, unable to save ourselves. Man, we can't heal ourselves or redeem ourselves because we can think that healing will come in the form of magical waters or a spouse or a job or a career or more money. We continually find ourselves going to this pool and that pool, and it just leaves us wanting more, wanting real mercy and real hope to come. And if you've trusted in Christ today, hear this, that Jesus' work on the cross If you've trusted in that, you have been saved, you have been healed from the most prolific disease to ever be, and that is sin. You have trusted in Jesus and you have been healed, and Jesus has told you to get up and walk. We've been called to get up and walk towards Christ. We've been called to get up and to pursue holiness, because this is where the gospel speaks into our lives with new mercies every morning. When we feel like we need affirmation that we matter, Jesus is there to show us that mercy is found in Him. He says, I went to the cross so that you didn't have to. Here is the mercy. You matter because it mattered so much, I went there for you. When we find ourselves being like, man, I have no purpose, Jesus is there with mercy. He died so that we could be brought into the family of God to never be alone, to worship him, to bring others along with him. We have a purpose family. At times we can feel like our sin just entraps us and there's nothing that we can do. And Jesus is there just ready to show us mercy because he took the punishment for our sin. It's already been paid. And he gives us his spirit so that we are no longer entrapped by it. We're no longer controlled by it. But no, we're free to live for him. Brothers and sisters, I I pray that we do not allow one another to go back to the pool where we seek to find mercy. And we push one another to hope and trust in the things of this world. That we push one another not to trust in the things of this world. Because mercy and hope are found in Jesus. Because Jesus is there. He's ready to show mercy. He goes where it's hard and where there's brokenness. Because scripture, I I love this, that scripture tells us that God is rich in mercy. It tells us, and that tells me, that God wants us to know that His mercy never runs out. It never runs low. It's new every morning. And we get to celebrate that. And so whatever you're dealing with, whatever you may be struggling with or just whatever life's throwing at you right now, God is there ready to show you mercy. He's ready to just step in and love you and say, I've gone and I've paid for it, for you. And so Jesus reminds this man and when he tells him to go and sin no more so that nothing nothing worse may happen to you, not to squander the mercy shown to him. And I think that's a message we have to hear today as well. Man, we don't squander that. Because this man could go, and I don't know how he all played out, it all played out, but he could go and he could make an idol out of his health now that he's got it. He could be in the gym all the time, eating all the right things, and that could be everything his life is consumed about. He could go also and you know, use that new body and seek out all the earthly pleasures that he's been missing out on. But in all of those things, they, he would still need mercy for his soul. There's physical healing, but God shows us there's something greater there. And so he wouldn't necessarily return to the pool of Bethesda, but he would find another place to seek out hope and mercy. He would, because he, he's now thrown something else away. And so we find ourselves in the same situation. God's shown us mercy. He's died on our behalf. He said, I've paid the sin. And for us the believers, he's brought us into his family and given us every right as children of God. All the blessings that are in Christ, all the promises that are in Christ, he says they're yes and amen. How then do we respond to that? And I think our passage gives us two responses, which leads us into our final point today. Number three, the responses. Because in our passage, we see two responses to the healing done by Jesus in John 5. On the one hand, we see a man who was healed. And on the other, we see the Jewish leader's response. So let's first look at the man who was healed, starting in verse 9. Because at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And the immediate response to this man that we see is obedience. Jesus told him in verse 8, get up, take up your bed and walk. And the man did just that. We saw that when we looked at the power of Jesus. And so we see the power and authority that Jesus holds and this man realizes that and is obedient to that. But we have to remember, mercy um, shows us, it extends beyond justice, it extends beyond what's there and shows compassion. We remember that mercy costs the giver something. And what did this cost Jesus? Let's see in verse 13. Let's look together. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. And so the first thing that we see that Jesus knew by healing this man is that others would want healing as well. And that's not a bad thing. We all desire to be healed in one way or the another. And so we see in this passage something interesting. Jesus withdraws. He withdraws because there was a crowd there. And with that, he we have to begin to make sense of that. Why did he withdraw? Because I, what I've just kind of begun to hone in on is Jesus wasn't interested in people just coming to be physically healed. He's not just a miracle worker. He was concerned not with just healing physically. He wanted to heal spiritually. And so he had to withdraw from that place because people only wanted him for one thing. That's why he had to withdraw in this moment. And we'll see in a minute, he continued to stir the waters with the religious leaders by dispensing this mercy. He did it on the Sabbath. He did it in a way that they're not used to. And so this would lead to him persecuting him all the more and begin to even plot to kill him uh, in verse 18. But Pastor Eric's going to tackle that for us next week. And so this led uh, all of this, this road of showing who he is and the giver of mercy. He begins to reveal himself. Throughout the book of John, John's showing us and revealing us who Jesus is. He is the giver of mercy. He is the son of God, the promised Messiah. He's being obedient to the father and acting in accordance with him as we see in verse 17. And so with that, it's all is gonna lead him, not just to be obedient and doing the father's will here, but it's gonna lead him to be obedient to the point of death on a cross. It cost him something, but he was willing to give it because he loved us. And so this healing is but a shadow though of what is to come. I found that this is one of the, like, the sweetest parts to me. I love just the idea of looking ahead to what Jesus will do. Because at times there's just brokenness and there's hurting. And there was still people hurting there. But God is working Still. Jesus is going to come back and he's not just going to heal one person. He's going to heal all who trust in him. There will be no more sadness and only tears that will be there will be tears of joy. Jesus will be bringing us into glory with him forevermore. And it's hard to know right now that this may not come in our time. We may not get to see Jesus come back or to see the healings that we want and we'll see him move the way we want him to move. But I encourage you in those moments where it's like, it still doesn't make sense. Man, look to the cross and see how much God loves you and how he loves those around you. And even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, God has such great love for us. Remember in John 3 that he sent his son for us and shows us love in this story. And throughout the life of Jesus and throughout scripture, we see God's love abound. And Jesus came. He came knowing it would be costly to show grace and mercy, but that's why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. And so we get to see at verse 14 to learn more about this man's response. Because afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. We've looked at this verse already, but a piece that I found interesting about this man's response was after 38 years of being unable to worship or enter the temple because either he was just physically unable to or the rules at the time said he was unclean and unworthy to be in the temple. He goes to the temple to worship. I just found that sweet. Sweet. After 38 years of not being able to do it, he was ready to go. And that's where Jesus finds him. And I pray that this is the response for those of us who have encountered Jesus and respond to the mercy and grace shown to them. God's love is overwhelming and our response is to worship him. That's what we were created, to, that's what we were created for. And so uh, the question we have to ask is, how are we responding to God's mercy and love shown to us? What's it look like? Are we worshiping throughout our days because of the great love God has for us? Are we coming before him because he's rich in mercy and just to forgive our sins if we confess them? He's already paid the penalty. He wants us to come and to love him and to see him and to be with him. Be reminded this morning that his mercies are new every morning. We get to go before the God who has the earth as his footstool and hold all things together. He heals with just his words and mountains will one day bow before him. We should praise God for who he is and what he has done for us. I gotta calm down, we got just a little bit more. Get a little too riled up. But there's another response we see in this passage. We see the response of the religious leaders and we know that they're religious leaders because of the type of questions they're asking and the authority that they seem to be having about the religious laws of the time. Because we see at the end of verse nine that Jesus did this healing on the Sabbath, um, but, Uh, spoiler, he's Lord over the Sabbath, so that gives you a little bit of time, a little bit of authority to do those things. And so we see in verse 10, they say, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. What strikes me about this passage is that it reveals so much of the leader's hearts. They didn't respond to the healing, but simply that he had taken up his bed. I hope our natural response when we see God, when we see a miraculous restoration, that we would, our hearts would just soar to see God's love on display. That we would just give Him praise upon praise and we would just celebrate the mess out of this here at New City when we see it. And we would not ask, hey, why are you doing X? But this wasn't the case. Their minds went straight to the rules and regulations of the day. We see this again in verse 12. Let's look. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They just went ahead and just looked over that this man's healing. They didn't even acknowledge it. They didn't address the person who had healed him. But instead they said, who gave you the ability or the command to do this? These leaders were more worried that a man had taken up his bed and walked than that this man had been on the ground and paralyzed for 38 years. Man, what a stark contrast we see from Jesus who chose to go to where they were overlooked and to the colonnades filled with invalids and these religious leaders trying to figure out who told this man he could break their rules. I think it's helpful to know as we look at a passage like this, taking up your bed and walking was not against God's law. It wasn't there. We we see in Exodus 20 that that wasn't the case. This was simply a rule by the leaders to make sure you didn't work on the Sabbath so you couldn't move one item to another location. It was their rules they were breaking. It wasn't God's rules they were breaking. And so they were more concerned about the letter of their law than the one whose character, God's law was supposed to reflect. They weren't worried about God. They were worried about their world and their kingdom. They were worried about getting it right instead of enjoying the one who gave the law. And so this is where Jesus' statement in verse 17, I believe hits different because realizing these leaders were freaking out over their law, not God's being broken. And we see Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. We see Jesus showing them that they're missing the point and they, they lose their minds over this statement. Because now he's not only doing work on the Sabbath. Now he's saying he is God. He is the Son of God. And so they're missing, because these people know the law. They know the words of God. They miss what the prophet Isaiah has said in chapter 35, where the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the lame will leap. They've just completely missed it. This is like our parents, and this hit hit home for me uh, when it finally popped into my head. Thanks. Popped into my head, or my wife maybe told it to me. We'll we'll figure it out later. But it's this idea of Thanksgiving. We got this, you know, I I see them missing it, like knowing your parents or your in-laws are coming into town and you start freaking out and you gotta get it all right. You're just lining it up, cleaning this, doing that, making it all work, ready for their arrival. It's coming, because Old Testament, Jesus was coming and they were trying to get it right and do everything just right. And we're sitting there cleaning the house and doing this and taking out the trash and dusting things we hadn't dusted in 10 years and all these different things. And then the day comes and you just forget to pick them up. You're sitting there like, you're so focused on doing, getting everything ready and doing it right that you missed the whole point. You missed the whole reason that you were doing all of these things. Jesus is the one who has come and they're missing it. They're focused on the rules and regulations and they miss it. The Messiah is before them and they're missing it because they're focused on rules and regulations. New City Church, let this not be said of us. Let us not be so concerned with getting the work done right that we miss the one who has already come and done it perfectly. Let us not be concerned with our way that we miss seeing God moving in his own way. I had a buddy, uh, he constantly reminds him Constantly reminds me not to put him in a box. Um, And I don't believe we can put God in a box. He doesn't work in just a certain way or the way we think it should work. But God's ways are bigger and I praise him for that. He heals who he wants to heal and he draws to himself who he pleases. Jesus is Lord of Lord and kings of kings. He is the king of kings and he reigns forevermore and sits at the right hand of the father. Wielding all authority in heaven and on earth. And so I pray that we're not consumed with what we presume is the right way. And we miss the one who made the way. Because there's a bunch of important things around us. Man, there's school and friendships and parenting and politics and just family. And man, these are sweet things, these are good things. But man, we can't hold on to them so tightly that we fail to see God moving. And then we only see our way as God's way, because we'll miss it. Because Jesus did not come to fit into a box, but to do the Father's will. He came to work as the Father works, transforming, restoring, and giving life. And I want this story to be a warning to us, because the man who went to the temple after encountering Jesus, and not to be the man who went and worshiped, and not be the leaders who were concerned with their own way, and realized and missed that God was among them. Jesus was there as the giver of mercy and they missed it. Let us not miss it, new city. Because the mercy that Jesus gives, and I love this, this this is a coffee cup verse, but his mercies are new every morning. And it's true, and I praise God for that. We're able to receive it forevermore for those who have trusted in Christ. So don't be consumed with getting it right and miss our need for mercy every day. When we're consumed with getting it right, we begin to think we are getting it right. But I'm here to tell you, we don't stop sinning, and so our need for mercy is always at hand. And I praise God that His mercies are new every morning and sufficient for each and every day. We may not stop sinning, but Jesus came and paid the cost of our sin so that we may now walk freely in His righteousness not our own. Our sin no longer defines us, Christ's righteousness does. And so let us be quick to confess our sins and joyfully receive the mercy shown to us in Christ. Let the mercy shown to us drive us to live a life we're called to. Remember that we have been healed for holiness. And let us remember that we've been called to walk. We don't have to carry the weight of sin or shame or whatever we may be wrestling with. We are no longer paralyzed by our sin, but we are free from it. God has healed us, he has called us to get up and walk and to pursue him in holiness. But if you haven't experienced the mercy given by Christ, I encourage you, and I encourage you to talk with somebody. Talk with whoever you came with today. Find me after the service and let's talk about the mercy that's found in Jesus because it's abundant and has the power to free you from the bondage you feel, from the weight that you have, because Christ has paid the debt so that you can freely accept his gift of mercy and grace. Just as the man in the pool didn't have to do anything special, neither do you. Jesus has done everything necessary to save you. All you have to do is simply believe in him. And my prayer for us this morning is that wherever you find yourself, that you would turn and see that Jesus is where mercy is found, that that's where we hope and we trust in, and we simply find rest in him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you are a God who is rich in mercy, that you have great love for us, and that we're able to find it, not in anything this world has to offer, but you. Thank you for making a way and, and being the God who loves us so much that you sent your son. Let us continue and quickly turn to you so that, God, we may trust in you and continue to find hope and mercy. In your name we pray, Amen. amen.